Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, for you and for the forgiveness of your sins. God fills us with his love, and it overflows in an abundant way as the people of God that he has called us to be. From Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, this is Proclaiming the One with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline. Soon to join us will be Vicar Daniel Golden. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome to our weekly gathering where we take a look at the readings, the propers for the upcoming Sunday in the church here. We're in that uh, unusual section uh, unique to the one-year series of readings, the Gesema or Jesima Sunday, and we are right smack dab in the middle of those three Sundays. So we are at Sex a Jesima, Sex a Gesima, which is approximately 60 days before Easter. Pastor, how are you doing today? And welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Thank you. I am vertical and taking nourishment, so... Okay, okay. I guess uh, thank God for little miracles. That's huh? right. All right. Well, uh, we want to dig into our readings. The uh, Gesema Sundays tie in very, very wonderfully with Lutheran theology. The uh, first Sunday, Septuagesima, uh, can can be looked upon as a time when we are focusing on the fact that we are saved by grace alone. The uh, second Sunday, Sexagesima, it's clear from the readings that we are saved by the Word alone, through Scripture alone. And so uh, enforcing that or uh, implementing that for us, Pastor, Luke 8, 4 to 15. When a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to Jesus, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil, and grew up and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what was this parable, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root, and they believe for a while, and in a time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil... They are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. There we have it, Luke 8, 4 to 15, the uh, 
parable of the sower. When a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to Jesus, he said in a parable, is there anything with the context of Luke chapter 8 that we should have in mind before we dig into this particular parable, Pastor? Well, I guess to start with, we could say that uh, there is a great crowd gathering with people from many, many different places, and so I think uh, that kind of tells us that, that this is paralleling uh, what Jesus is actually experiencing here. Lots of people are coming out and hearing the word, and yet uh, just because they hear it, not all of them will be saved. Uh, there is that uh, uh, contingency or possibility uh, of falling away from the faith or not receiving the word rightly that's taking place. And so that's, that's an important part of it. Uh, we also then have... Um, this is a part of several parables that Jesus tells uh, around this particular time, uh, many of which have to do with this idea of seeds and farming and whatnot uh, going about. It's right before Jesus calms the storm, and it's right after Jesus has done several healing miracles as well, healing the centurion servant, uh, he, raising the widow's son, uh, and then having seen John the Baptist's um, disciples uh, as well. So it kind of falls in the middle of all these things which are significant uh, in helping us understand it. And we also have a uh, discourse, so to speak, right smack dab in the middle of this pericope where Jesus is teaching us the purpose of parables in general. And uh, I, I think we would be remiss if we did not spend some time and focus on that. In fact, before we get into this particular parable, verse 9 says, and when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, I mean, this is pretty normal, right? Uh, he tells a story. Uh, sometimes people will think of parables as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's a little bit of an oversimplification, but it's not too bad. And Jesus said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Um, riddle me this, Joker. Uh, you know, help me out. What, uh, what is Jesus teaching us with regard to parables in general and why some people get it and some people don't. Well, um, we have to understand who Jesus is talking to when he says this. He's talking to the disciples. And so immediately he's talking to the 12, but then in addition, uh, he's also speaking to uh, all of us also. And so uh, it is first to us and then by extension to the people, sorry, it is first to the apostles and then by extension to us here living now in this world. And what he's saying is, uh, you understand this. You can follow these parables because why? Well, it has been given to you. Uh, what's been given? Faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and understanding of what he's done. Other people who do not have that faith, to them, this stuff just sounds like nonsense. What difference does it make about a, a sower and a seed and a, the different soils and all this stuff? It doesn't make any sense because they don't have the ultimate key to understanding them, which is Christ and his kingdom. So can we say that what Jesus is teaching us in general about the parables, how they are uh, accessible 
and understandable to those who have been given the gift of faith by the power of the Holy Spirit, um, in contrast with those to whom the parables seem like nonsense or gibberish or an unsolvable riddle because they are outside the kingdom of God, they do not have faith, can we make that same application not only to parables, Pastor, but to all of Scripture? Yeah, I think we can. In fact, um, if we go back into Peeper and read what Peeper writes, um, he talks about the the perspicuity of Scripture. Third time's a charm there. That's easy for you to say. Um, Which, uh, that Scripture is clear uh, and that it is all about Christ, and yet without faith in Christ, we read the Scripture and it seems like a long and confusing book, and uh, what does it all mean, right? Uh, We have all these different books trying to tell us that, and that's the reality, though. With God's Word, uh, faith in Christ is the key to understanding what all Scripture is. Uh, Without faith in Christ, it's, it's really hard, and you can come up with all sorts of different meanings and understandings about it. So, Scripture is a locked book to those who are outside the kingdom of God. Should it surprise us then when people come and attack the Word of God, attack the veracity of the Bible, attack Christianity in general because they are blinded from seeing the truth because they have no faith? Well, not just because of that, but also um, outside the faith, you hate what God teaches because outside the faith you are bound um, to your own sinful desires and to Satan, that great tempter and murderer from the beginning. Uh, And so as a result, you hate what God offers because that's the very definition of sin in itself, to replace his word with your word. And, uh, And so that's just the reality of our world. So what's the answer then? How uh, uh, do we do we just throw up our arms and say that there's nothing we can do or uh, it's too bad God doesn't have a plan to turn unbelievers into believers or turn these hate filled attackers of Christianity into brothers and sisters in Christ? Yeah, I see where you're very directly leading us here, right? Uh, God's plan is to preach his word, and that through the preaching of his word, uh, the Holy Spirit will work, create, sustain faith within those who hear it. Uh, And so the word, the word, the word is very important, and in fact, that's why everything we do centers around that word and why we spend uh, so much time studying God's word and talking about God's word as a congregation. So the answer to those who are lost in the tre- in the uh, darkness and trespasses of their sin is the word of God. The answer to those who hate the word of God is the word of God. The answer to those who persecute the church is the word of God. And isn't it amazing? Jesus tells his parable about the word of God and what you can expect when you faithfully preach and teach the Word of God. Is that a fair way to set up what we're going to talk about, Pastor? Yeah, sure. (laughs) Thanks for that resounding uh, encouragement there. Verse 5, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. 
and some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up, grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. So we have four different pictures or aspects of what happens when the sower sows his seed uh, at the baseline or the very beginning of this parable before Jesus gives us the explanation. Pastor, with these four things that Jesus is talking about, um, why would Jesus tell a story about a sower sowing his seed and then these four different results? Well, he tells the story about the sower sowing the seed and the four different results because uh, this is what the basis of their society and economy was at that time. You had to grow food uh, to survive and to eat, and the average person understood this. Um, there had been given out allotments of land <clears throat> uh, back in the time of uh, Joshua, and even some of that is still carried on to this time as well. And so the average person to get their food had to go out and grow it. And they planted their seed, and they knew that they needed to get the seed in the good soil and not on the rocks and not in the thorns and not in the weedy pots <clears throat> uh, and not also in the, the pathway. But they wanted to get their seed where it would grow, uh, and so they understood this parable in that regard because it was their everyday life. Common, everyday, normal stuff. This is not wild and crazy stuff. This is simple things that even the most simple person can understand. And even the farmers today would understand it as well. They don't plant their corn in the road. They don't... Uh, plant it in the uh, the ground at Memorial Stadium with the AstroTurf. They plant it in the good Nebraska soil. All right. Well, when we come back, we're going to find out a little bit more about what this parable means. Luke 8, 14, 4 to 15. This is Proclaiming the One. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNA. LP 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, and now Vicar Golden has joined the uh, triumvirate, is that what we called it with Pastor Kuhlman, uh, joined the table here. We're looking at the readings for the upcoming Sunday, Sexagesima. The gospel reading, Luke 8, 4 to 15, it is the parable of the sower. We have Jesus uh explaining to us what parables are for. We have a sower going out to sow seed. Some of the seed falls along the path and trampled underfoot. Some, uh, the birds of the air, ate and devoured it. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, withered away. Some fell among thorns. The thorns grew up and choked it. Some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. Vicar, starting in verse 11. Jesus explains to us what this parable means. Would you read Luke 8, 11 to 15? Now the parable is this. 
The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. Okay, Pastor, um, the seed is the word of God. Could Jesus be any more clear in his explanation about what this parable means? Well, uh, no, not really in the sense uh, of what Scripture does and what teaches. Of course, he could write a uh, dissertation or uh, you know have a, a doctrinal book to explain things a little bit more clearly, but this is a very clear one-to-one correlation in this particular par- parable. Okay, now... One thing that you notice when you take a look at those words that Vicar just read, Luke 8, 11 to 15, with each instance of the seed being sown, whether it's on the uh, hard path or among the thorns or on the good soil, I'm missing one there, uh, the rocky soil, uh, In each of those four instances, there is a word that accompanies it. Um, Verse 12, the ones along the path are those who, having heard. Verse 13, when they hear the word of God. Verse 14, they are those who hear. And then verse 15, they are those who, hearing the word. So, sowing the seed, when we see all of this, hearing the word, are we talking about the preaching of God's word? Because after all, Romans 10 says faith comes by hearing. Can we look at it that way, or is that too narrow of a focus? I, I think that's the primary and most important way that we're talking about here. Uh, obviously, there can be the more simple things where, you know, we talked with somebody uh, at our work or whatever, and in all those cases, we could say the word is proclaimed and delivered. Uh, but, yeah, the primary way this happens is within the church service, the divine service, and it has to do with sermons, it has to do with scripture readings, and it even happens in the hymns and in the liturgy. That's number one place where God's word is delivered. So as the word is heard, now we have four different reactions to people who have heard the word. Uh, can can we safely assume that there is no problem with the word? Yeah, the word is fine. It's not the, the word that's the issue. It is uh, always the reception of that word that's the problem. Okay, so when the reception of the word is referred to as the ones along the path, The ones along the path was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. What are we talking about here? 
Well, um, when we're doing this parable, we're getting a picture of what the, the church is like. And the, the truth of the matter is, is that there are those who hear the word and yet for whatever reason do not believe it. And this is, this is what Christ is teaching us, that it's not just a, um, we can automatically, magically change everybody into Christians. There are still those who their sinful nature will not believe what the word says. And so when we're going through each one of these things, that's what we have to realize is um, that the reality of our sinful world is is that everyone will not be saved and that some will reject the word through some way, shape, or form or means, and this is what Christ is teaching us. So in the first one, the word is faithfully proclaimed. Yes. There's no problem with the preaching. There's no problem <clears throat> with the word. But Satan, the devil, comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Correct. Satan is at work. Yes. Never rests. Especially within the church. And his desire is for the word of God not to be believed. And so he'll do whatever he can to cast doubts and aspersions or whatever on the word of God. The uh, second word picture there is the seed that fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Uh, Jesus explains, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while and in a time of testing fall away. Pastor, are we to actually believe that this parable is teaching that people can believe and then fall from grace? Yes, uh, that's exactly what it's teaching here. Um, there are many Christians, especially in America, that would say once saved, always saved. Um, what would you What would you say to those that are that are caught up in that kind of theology? <laughs> well, I mean, in brief, I'd say that's not what Scripture teaches, and so um, it, it's based on a human understanding. This idea, once saved, always saved, and if you uh, end up not being saved, then you are never really saved in the first place at all. It's all human reason, and it comes out of Calvin. But the church has taught for many, many years, and uh, even scriptures taught, and uh, we see it played out within church history as well. That those who are faithful in the time of testing can fall away. It happens again and again and again. And I don't think that an idea of once saved, always saved could have come about unless the uh, times of testing had gotten easier as the church grew in authority and power and we became more complacent in our lives. They, uh, they had no root, and early on it talks about uh, those, um, uh, let's see here, um, some fell on the rocks, it grew up and withered away because it had no moisture. Now, Lutherans want to find baptism wherever the water, uh, any kind of water is mentioned. Can we do that here, or is that a stretch? I think that's a bit of a stretch in this particular case. Um, I think uh, the idea is is that you know that the ground holds moisture, and that's what helps plants to grow. And the, with no root, you don't have the moisture. That's what kills the plant. I don't think it's a baptismal reference here at all, because I think if you're part of the church in all these cases, uh, you probably were baptized when you were brought into the church. Okay. The third example that Jesus used, he explains in verse 14, as for what, what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, 
They are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. The Americans. I was just going to say, this one sounds like a lot of the people who are sitting in the pew every Sunday morning were so busy. You know, sorry, sorry, we haven't seen you for a while, Pastor. But uh, you know, we we got work, we got vacation, we got kids' sports, we got what? What are we to take from Jesus' words here? Well, it's just the reality of the sinful world again that uh, those in the church uh, do become complacent and apathetic to uh, uh, what God is doing for them in the, His Word and in the sacraments and. Um, it's sad, but it, it's the truth, and uh, there are those who uh, get pulled away from the church in that way, and they, apart from God's Word and faith in Christ, strengthened by regular preaching and uh, Lord's suppering, uh, that, that faith can wither and die. The last example that Jesus gives are those, the seed, uh, the Word of God goes into the good soil, and it is those who, hear, having heard the Word of God, hearing the Word of God, hold it fast in an honest and good heart. Is this something that I have to create, an honest and good heart? Is this something I can will to to hold fast to the Word of God? Uh, no, and in fact, I don't think I'd want to put ourselves in any of these particular situations. What we want to see is this is a picture of the church, and the important thing is that Christ's Word goes out and does its work, and uh, those who receive the Word rightly are saved, and those who do not are not. Uh, this is the way the church will work, and this is what we see taking place like in the book of Acts, and even in our world today, God's Word goes out, and the Holy Spirit creates faith, and and. I'd always be really wary of plugging ourselves into one of these particular things because then it always comes, well, what do I do to make sure I'm the good soil or how do I get my rocks out or, you know, do I need to spray Roundup on myself to kill the thorns? Uh, You know, we can get into all this ridiculousness and that takes our focus then off of what's really important is that the word goes out that Christ is building his church and saving it. And so... Anytime you start to ask those other questions, you take your focus off of what Jesus is doing, and that's never good. One last question, Pastor, on this. Um, The path that was trampled underfoot, the birds of the air eating the seed, the rocky soil, no moisture, the thorns grow up along with the plant and choke it off. Pastor, can the Word of God change hard pan soil rocky soil thorny soil into good soil so that we can hear and believe or again is that a backwards way of looking at this parable I, th- I think, again, that's one of the ways that's taking our focus off of what it's really about, that the Word goes out and that uh, uh, the Holy Spirit was always attached to the Word and creating and sustaining faith. I mean, the answer, of course, is yes, God can build faith wherever he wishes. As he says in John's Gospel, the wind blows wherever it wishes, this way and that way, and you don't understand from where it's come or what it's doing. Uh, that's exactly the truth. God creates faith how he wishes, through the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm always really, really nervous if we're starting to put ourselves in here and say, well, 
look, this is how you're going to be changed or you're going to change yourself. Uh, God does what he wants and works how he wants, and we don't understand that. So what we need to know is that the word is coming out and it keeps coming to us. Um, and it's important for us as we know that to listen to the word and be in the word and love the word just as Christians ought to do. But to think that the word is under our control or power or even that uh, we're in control and power enough of ourselves to be good soil or bad soil is, uh, I think, uh, a little bit beyond what this is saying. Well said. Well said. We need to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about seed and planting and all of that. But we're going to do it in our Old Testament reading, Isaiah 55, 10 to 13. We're looking at the readings for Sexagesima Sunday, proclaiming the one. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. Welcome back. This is Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Come join us for worship as you can. We gather each Sunday at 8 and 1030 with Sunday School for All Ages in between. Every Wednesday evening at 630. All of our worship services are broadcast live over KNNALP 95.7 in and around Lincoln. And you can always go to our website, download the app, thecross957.org. Check out the archives, give us some feedback, and thanks for listening. The Old Testament reading for Sexagesima Sunday, when we're focusing on the word, the word, the word, some um, somewhat familiar words from Isaiah 55. Vicar, Isaiah 55, 10 to 13. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy, and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. All right, we have some uh, familiar words, and then following up those familiar words, some not-so-familiar words as well. Pastor, we have a different kind of a simile. Uh, we are, we're using this agricultural word picture here, and yet at the same time, the sower who sows the seed 
in Luke chapter 8, here in Isaiah 55, the word of God is not the seed that is growing. The word of God is the moisture that comes down from heaven, the rain and the snow. Am I reading that right? Well, um, that's that's the simile in this particular section of Scripture, but I would point out to you and to our listeners that it is still doing the same thing. It is coming forth and doing what God wants it to do. And I think then there's the key comparison to our gospel lesson. The Word of God does the work. It works uh, faith by being proclaimed and delivered and coming to us and to our ears. So we do have a connection here because the rain and the snow come down from heaven. God is doing the doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they don't return, but they water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower. Are we talking about the same seed to the sower that we had in the parable of the sower, or are we talking on a a more earthly uh, agricultural basis at this point? Uh, I don't think it's, I mean, this is, you can't make a one-to-one correlation, but the same idea is happening again, is that the word is being delivered and it does what it works. And so in the Old Testament case, it is uh, growing plants so that you have seed to plant and food to eat. Uh, and that's the two things that, that you know, you, you plant corn and part of the corn you save to plant the next year, and the other part of the corn you eat, uh, or wheat, the same thing. And that's what he's saying here. And so it's doing what you want it to do. And in the, the gospel lesson, the same thing. The seed is going out, and it's growing just like we want it to do. That's what God does in his word. So in the gospel reading in Luke 8, it's talking about the things that hinder the word of God. As the word of God is being faithfully proclaimed, there's no problem with the word of God, but Satan is constantly on the attack. Um, The uh, thorns, uh, the cares and worries of this life are always there. Uh, We are quick to believe, and then our faith is very, very shallow. So we have all these issues that are going on there that we talked about in our first two segments. Here, it appears to me that Isaiah is talking about the, the word that comes from God, but he's emphasizing something different. And what he's emphasizing with regard to the word is the power of the word of God and that the word of God is powerful and that it has God's promise attached to it, and it will do what God says it will do. Is yeah. that is that a uh, uh, am I am I looking at these words from Isaiah, or yeah. am I am I missing? Some some emphasis here. No, I, that's exactly the truth, and this is good news for us as preachers and also as members of congregation. Um, the, the reality of our sinful world is always that there will be those who hear the word and for a while are there, and then they drift off or they fall away uh, or they don't come or they drop out after confirmation class. There's always that attrition from the membership of the church. And uh, in response to that, you know, many churches have come and they said, well, maybe the problem is in the word. What if we, what if we add uh, a little bit of this or that to the word? What if we make it more exciting? What if we change the way the music is done? What if we make the pews more comfortable? Maybe that will bring people in. And 
behind all that is the confession that the word isn't enough. And what, what Isaiah says here is it is enough. And the reality is there's still going to be those leaving. And so rather than changing the word or rather than being worked up or, or blaming the pastor or the the uh, friendliness of the congregation or, you know, there was the church here in the news not long ago that said we're going to get rid of all of our older members so that we can have a newer, younger church. Rather than doing those things or blaming ourselves, we just have to know that Sometimes the word doesn't take root. Sometimes people hear it and then they leave. Sometimes people wander away, and that's the reality of the church. But we still stick to the word and its truth and purity because we know that's how God works, and that's what we see in all these readings today. You know, your, your words there, Pastor, are pure gold. They are pure gold. When we don't trust the word of God to do what the word of God promises to do, we think we can help it. We think we can uh, make it powerful, that we can energize it, that we can give it steroids, uh, whatever, whatever word picture you want to use here. And we come up with all kinds of crazy ideas, just like what you explained there with uh, changing the worship service, changing the people in the pew, changing the pews or the worship setting in and of itself. Or I think what has happened the most in... 20, late 20th and early 21st century Christendom is it's got to be the preacher. It's got to be the sower. If our church is growing, if people are coming to faith, it must be because we have a good pastor. If the church is declining, well, then we need a new pastor. Uh, in, a, in putting it in the language of our gospel parable, we need a new sower for the seed. Why is that so dangerous to fall into that trap? And I know it's difficult for pastors to talk about this because it sounds like we're, we're just uh, grubbing to keep our own paycheck or to keep our own job or position. Why is it so important that we realize that it is the seed that is being proclaimed rather than the person who is doing the sowing? Well, and I guess that's the important part, right? It's not the pastor. Pastors are replaceable, and they should be. Um, the Word is the important part. So if your pastor is preaching God's Word and its truth and purity, that's enough. If your pastor is not preaching God's Word, that's a problem. And and so we have to distinguish between those two things. We can't let that just be one single word there. But... Um, if your pastor is handsome like me or a little scruffy looking like you, that doesn't matter. If the pastor is really smart like me or not so smart like you, I'm just teasing. I hope you know that. Uh, the, the identity of the pastor isn't the thing that matters. It's the word that he preaches. The word needs to be God's word to the very best uh, of all human ability, and the pastor has to set himself aside uh, to do that word, even when it's hard, right? Uh, even when the church is shrinking or people are leaving, that doesn't mean the pastor should change or the congregation should change the pastor. If they're still sticking to God's word, uh, Jesus says that's just the reality. Some are on rocky soil. Some are choked out by thorns. Some, uh, the cares of the world or Satan leaves them astray. We have to just acknowledge that that's the reality and deal with it as it comes along. And the way we deal with it, more word. Preach the word. Stick to the word. Be honest about the word. And um, 
God will work in that, and he promises to according to Isaiah. Uh Something that I want to I want to close off this section with, you know, I've been I've been here at Good Shepherd uh, for man almost twenty two years, and you know you've been here quite a while, Pastor, uh, year and a half as pastor, but as a member of the congregation way before that. Vicar, you're kind of a newbie here, but I can tell you that over over more than two decades here at Good Shepherd, I have seen. This kind of a roller coaster, I have seen way, way, way high spikes in attendance. And I have seen real big problems where people are fighting among themselves or they're fighting over money and they're leaving in droves. And the pastor's not doing anything different. And the temptation that is there to change the message to change the leadership, to change pastors, to do anything to try to stop the ebb and the flow or try to recreate some glory days of the past, it is ever-present for the pastor. It's also heartbreaking when people leave. And that's why these Bible passages like Isaiah 55 are so absolutely crucial. God's Word promises to do what God's Word will do. We cling to the word, and for anybody who's been around Good Shepherd for more than a few hours, they know that Poppy's mantra is the word, the word, the word. That is what the church is about. And by the grace of God, that is what Good Shepherd, Poppy and Moline and Golden, that is what binds us together as one. And at the end of our little text here from Isaiah 55, There is joy and celebration. Even the trees and the mountains are celebrating because God's word is doing what God's word promises to do. 30 seconds, Pastor. I'll let you have the last word on this text. Yeah, never let your pastor be the focus of why you join a church or go to a church uh, or stay at a church. You know, uh, Make sure he's preaching the word, and if he's preaching the word, rejoice in that. If he's not, uh, have a conversation with him. Um, and, you know, it's a hard thing to do, but it's the reality of what we need to do as a church. And Stick to the word because that's what makes Christians, not the the personality of your pastor or anything like that. We are not about a personality cult following some pastor, uh, no matter what he says. We cling to the word of God. Thanks be to God. We need to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to look at our epistle reading, Hebrews 4, 9 to 13. Don't change that dial. Listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Lord Jesus Christ, your power make known, for you are Lord of lords alone. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the Sunday we call Sexagesima. We are roughly 60 days before our celebration of Easter, 
which means we are about a week and a half before, is that right? Week and a half before Ash Wednesday? We're getting uh, there. When, when we're, yeah, so we're getting closer and closer here. And uh, we pray that God would bless us. We've been focusing on the Word, the Word, the Word. In our first two segments, we looked at Luke chapter 8, 4 to 15, the parable of the sower, the parable of the sower explained, and a short little discourse on, from Jesus on the purpose of parables. In our third segment, we looked at the Old Testament reading, some familiar words from Isaiah 55, emphasizing the fact that the Word of God has power, power to do what God accomplishes, what God desires to be accomplished, and we can trust it, we can cling to it, we don't need to uh, supplement it in any way, shape, or form. And now the epistle reading, and remember, Many times this epistle reading is simply a practical application of everything we've heard so far. The epistle reading is Hebrews 4, 9 to 13. Vicar? So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from sight, from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Okay, Hebrews 4, 9 to 13, the epistle reading for Sexagesima Sunday. And in the book of Hebrews, we have some um, amazing teachings regarding Jesus. How would you summarize, Pastor, if you could, the book of Hebrews in one or two or three short sentences? Everything that happened in the Old Testament that you remember from your uh, confirmation days has its fulfillment in Jesus. Beautiful and concise. The Old Testament is fulfilled in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, at the very beginning, there's something here that we don't think about and we don't talk about much. Oh, maybe we do on the Saturday before Easter. But we don't talk much about a Sabbath rest. Pastor, how would you define Sabbath rest as God's Word uses it here? So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Well, uh, in the part right before this in the book of Hebrews, he's talking about all the different ways that God promised to rest. Uh, so it begins in the creation where Adam and Eve uh, are created on the sixth day, and then God rests on the seventh day. Uh, sin enters the world, <clears throat> and uh, 
There's the promise given to uh, uh, Abraham uh, that there will be a Savior. There's the promise given to Moses as he leads people out that you'll enter the promised land and everything will be good. Uh, There's the promise given to Joshua. You'll get here into the promised land and everything will be good. There's always this promised land, this rest, this peace, this comfort that is always ahead of the people. And the book of Hebrews is talking about all these different ways uh, right before this. And it says, this Sabbath rest really is given to you in Jesus Christ. And so in that regard, it is still ahead of us as well. We're still here in this world of sorrow and difficulty, uh, and yet we know that one day we'll come out of this world of sorrow and difficulty and enter into that rest. And that's the whole idea here that is being put forward, uh, that God's rest is coming for us, and uh, we are striving here in this world to enter into it. And I think the beautiful thing then is, how do we enter into it? We hear the word and we believe it. Uh, And that's what's... uh, what he's driving home for us here. So is the Sabbath rest heaven or is the Sabbath rest something that I have here by grace through faith before I go to heaven? I'm a little, I'm a little confused here, pastor. Help me out. Well, I think, um, when we say heaven, we don't mean what Americans think of of heaven, like uh, walking on clouds and carrying around a harp all day, and uh, you know, even make growing angel wings or whatever. Heaven uh, really has to do with resurrection. Uh, our dead bodies will be brought back from the dead to live forever in peace and comfort and joy in a new creation with God and with Jesus. Uh, and so that's what we mean when we say heaven. And that is ahead of us uh, because we still have haven't died and left this world, if you will. And yet at the same time, we get a foretaste of that uh, when we come to the divine service and we receive God's word and we participate in the feast of heaven and eat Christ's body and blood. Uh, So that is a now sense uh, in in the divine service, and it's a not yet sense in the uh, fulfillment and fullness of the resurrection that is ahead of us. One more example of this now, not yet (laughs) tension that is here in Scripture and that is good news for us. Pastor, in verse 11, there is that phrase that says, so that no one may fall. Is this another part of God's Word that teaches that someone can fall from faith, fall from grace? It is, and uh, the way it says it is, fall again by the same sort of uh, disobedience. And what is that talking about? That's talking about the disobedience of Adam in the Garden of Eden. And what was the disobedience? To replace God's word with his own opinion, thought, or word. uh, To not listen to what God says, but instead what to somebody else says. Um, And that's the same sort of disobedience that can still lead to our fall as well, if you will. If we don't trust God's word, uh, instead we substitute our own understanding or opinions or thoughts in place of it, that will lead to our fall from faith. We have a beautiful description of God's Word beginning in verse 12 for many people of very, very familiar uh, words. Uh, Vicar, uh, the author of the book of Hebrews says, uh, give some descriptions for the Word of God. The first one is, the Word of God is living and active. What does that mean? I believe it as is the word made flesh, Christ, is risen and living and active, then so is and also must be the word of God. What would be the opposite of living and active? Uh, Dying and still, dead and still. 
Yeah, dead, dead and buried, dead and still, uh, dead and decaying. You know, uh, this is this is not some old book getting dusty on your shelf or being eaten up by bookworms. Uh, as always, when we talk about the word, the first word that we talk about is the second person of the Trinity, the eternal word, the eternal logos, Jesus. This word takes on flesh and blood and makes his dwelling among us in the incarnation. And now this word, Jesus, risen from the dead, gives us his word, the inscriptured words, the Holy Bible. And so when we're talking about the word of God, we're talking about all three. And that is where I came up with that goofy little phrase, the word, the word, the word, to talk about this all-encompassing understanding, not just the Bible, not just Jesus, not just the second person of the Trinity, but all three. Can we apply that to everything that uh, we read here in the book of Hebrews now describing the Word of God, Pastor? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, this is the what we said Hebrews is about, is uh, everything that's in the Old Testament finds its fulfillment in Christ, and that he is then the Word made flesh, and so we see everything uh, finding its fulfillment in the Word. And the Word is the thing that still creates and sustains faith even to today. Everything then is in God's hand, and all that we do is merely a response. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, am I supposed to be afraid that the Word of God is going to chop me up into little pieces because it is so sharp. Uh, after all, with our little children, don't we teach them, you know, you be careful with that knife. Yeah, you don't want to cut yourself. What's going on here with this? Well, I mean, yes, the Word does chop us up when it's dealing with us in terms of the law, but I think more important than that idea is the idea that it is a two-edged sword. And even when we see uh, in the book of Revelation or other places, we see a picture of God always coming out of his mouth is a two-edged sword. And I think that tells us what we're talking about here. God's word uh, has two different words that it says, and it's the same thing, and that's the law and the gospel. I don't mean it's the same thing in their content, but rather it is the word of God has those two things within it. We have the word of law that shows us our sin and points out where we do wrong against Against God's word, and we have the word of gospel, which forgives our sins and grants us eternal life. And we see this throughout all of God's word and scripture, law and gospel, and uh, when we have a two-edged sword being represented for the word, that's what we're talking about. It is uh, so important that we emphasize the dual nature, if you will, the two-edged sword aspect of God's word to properly distinguish law and gospel. This is where many pastors get it wrong. This is where many people in the pew get it wrong. God's word is both law and gospel. We don't need to try to figure it out by our reason or by our enthusiasm. We can cling to the bare, simple, naked word of God. God is not holding back on us. God is promising exactly what he is going to give us. Forgiveness, life, and salvation. Strength for the journey as we hear the word of God and receive the gifts of God, which are nothing more than the word of God attached to bread and wine and water. God will love us, sustain us until that day when that Sabbath rest is before our very eye.
Vicar, would you do us the honor and bring things to a close by praying the collect of the day for Sexagesima Sunday? Let us pray. O God, the strength of all who put their trust in you, mercifully grant that by your power we may be defended against all adversity. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. For Pastor Moline and Vicar Golden, I am Pastor Clint Poppy. Thanks for tuning in to Proclaiming the One today. This coming Sunday, get out of bed, drink your coffee, read your paper. Please pray for your pastor. But most of all, go to church. God's richest blessings in Christ. Christ